Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back. We Hi, everyone. are still here. We are doing this. This is our one constant. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. We're actually really excited because we have Anne from Walking with Freya. We've been on her podcast. She's been on our podcast. And we just thought, I know she uh, is so exciting. You know, we just really wanted to have a conversation with someone that has children at home that are neurotypical and neurodiverse and just kind of check in to see how things are going. Obviously, this pandemic for us what when we're recording this over the summer is keep going on and I think it just won't change I think we're gonna be here for a while <laughs> just at the rate of things um, yeah we might be I mean things might permanently change for a lot of things I agree I think that's what will happen we will be we are in a different world and as we open up and things like that but I don't know we just wanted to check in with Anne you know see how the tail end or the beginning of that distant learning was from March to June or May to June and then just kind of see what's going on hi Anne thank you so much yeah thank you so much for coming back on yeah well thanks for inviting me I'm excited to talk to you all again you know when you said that things may be changing permanently I shed a few tears yeah I mean I think it's grief and those stages that we have to go through yeah I'm right there with Mm you yeah there's just so many angles to look at this from so many reasons to be upset yeah (laughs) and to have grief and you know when this first started I was more sad for my girls yes I feel pretty versatile and competent and you know I'm 41 now and so like I don't know like I don't have the same requirements that I used to I guess for you know my social life or whatever but you know I look at my girls and it just makes me so sad and one of the saddest moments was sitting there doing homeschool with my girls um, when we're at home and they go to water school so they have this like opening verse that they sing and so I was still for the first couple weeks was still trying to do that trying to keep this rhythm and just like my littlest one singing her morning song just by herself was so uh, I had to like walk out the room for a minute I was like good grief right (laughs) just those those moments you know we've been living this way you know our entire lives and there I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about how you know each generation aside from our generations you know live through different types of wars that change the world forever right yes we've experienced 9-11 we've experienced the this assault of school shootings and things like that but this is that world changing event Mm -hmm. and that is very difficult to wrap your head around (laughs) it's hard absolutely and you know there is this I will say that underneath this all there is especially with you know what's happening now with Black Lives Matter and and this you know hopefully this awakening that's happening there is like this undercurrent of excitement and hope like we're being just shaken to the core like things have needed to change for so long and for whatever reason it feels you know with pandemic and Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, it, however much that's spurring all of this, like it, there is like this undercurrent of excitement and hope that like maybe now we're going to really start looking at how we live and how we need to change things. So, well, you know, we needed this pandemic to start, I think, a lot of this. So like, mm-hmm. I think I have seen a few like memes and stuff online, you know, if only a time traveler had come back and stop 2020 from happening. And when you really stop to think about that and you think about like, yes, of course, if we could avoid all the deaths that have happened, if we could avoid all the injustices that have happened, how amazing would that be? Yes. But if 2020 had just started normally and we didn't have this pandemic, would we have so many people, especially young people, really, you know, putting themselves out there to really push for change that is so needed in so many ways, like not even just when we think about Black Lives Matter and justice with, you know, police reform and everything like that, but how we talk about the education system and Mm -hmm. Vicky and I are always like, you know, maybe we need to just throw the whole thing out (laughs) and start anew and everyone says, oh, that would be too much work, it'd be so much, but when we're in this world, maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we're being forced to really look at things yeah. in all aspects of our life. And even, you know, my husband a few weeks ago was saying, you know, I don't wish there was a pandemic, but I'm really enjoying having so much time with the girls and all of us being together so much. And I think even from that, even our own little family experiences, hopefully we're learning some things and can find new ways of being that involve more cohesion as a family and less on, you know, consumerism and and all that stuff. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) absolutely. So much. And I think it's okay to be hopeful. I think it's okay to try and find the silver lining. I think that there's very few things that we can control and being able to kind of start you know, on a blank slate, if you will, is exciting. I think that this conversation is hopeful and it's exciting. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think a lot of people are there yet, but that's essentially why we wanted you on because we just, we feel such a connection with you and, and we knew you would keep it real and just be as positive as you can be, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, try to be. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's yeah. definitely harder. I had to uh, give up coffee because my anxiety level went up. Right. <laughs> coffee, and it's not like I go through my day just full of anxiety, but, you know, when they, I mean, change is painful. Even absolutely. good change can yeah. be painful. Yeah, absolutely. So then I'm assuming distance learning did not go as well as you had hoped. That was also painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know what? There was some good and bad. The good part was, you know, kind of getting this perspective. I mean, because when we started our family, we were living out in the hills and and I homeschooled our oldest daughter for a while. Like we wanted this, you know, we didn't want to do this conventional life. And so this, but then, you know, over time we got into this conventional life of getting up early, going to the gym, taking kids to school and, you know, and then drive them to this practice and that, you know, that like cliche American life that Mm -hmm. we never really wanted to have anyway. Yeah. So this kind of like gave us an opportunity to step back from that. And I'm not saying that I necessarily want to like be living out in the hills with just my family for the rest of my life. life. I'm not saying that either, (laughs) but like, (laughs) you know, like, so there was that getting to have more time with them. The big thing was getting to work one-on-one with Freya in certain areas that, you know, her, she's got great teachers and they put a lot of energy into her education. But, you know, sometimes you just need that daily one-on-one. And for math, I think that, you know, it's such a hard concept for her. And so being able to work one-on-one, I got to really see kind of where she was at 
And I got to see that progress again. And I think she got some much needed one-on-one time. Unfortunately, I'm not really a math teacher, but, you know, doing basic math, I can handle. So that one-on-one was really good. But, you know, one of the things my youngest daughter's teacher put out was this thing about crisis learning and telling parents, like, don't worry so much. You know, we'll get your kids back in the fall and we'll get them back up to speed where they need to be. And I appreciated that sentiment, you know, like, let's focus on their mental health. But it really got me thinking, and I wrote this long poem about it because that's what I do. You know, this whole, like, this crisis learning for a child who's already struggling to maintain and to be mainstream. You know, my biggest fear is that I'm not adequate enough to keep her at the level that she's barely maintaining Mm, in some mm. ways. And that's just academic. I mean, that's not even talking, like, you know, with her peers and with, you know, social stuff, which is, you know, I can't really give her that. That's what she needs in school. So I think that there is this, you know, for us parents who have kids with special needs, you know, we have to work, you know, we're working even harder. And it's not just like, we can't just, like, let it. You can't just let it go and just wait Exactly. Well, you know, I was actually in a meeting last week on a planning council for the county where, you know, we oversee inclusion for um, early child care in Orange County. And we were actually having a similar conversation about how, you know, with so many daycare centers and preschools kind of shutting down and having to like figure out how to navigate this world right now. And even like, you know, early learners, so elementary school, how the kids are you know, missing out on so much academics and how do we talk to the families about, you know, what should the focus be right now? And a lot of people were having that the conversation about, you know, should we be focusing on the mental health and the emotional intelligence? And just like what you're saying, or, you know, is it really important for us to be looking at, at the, the basics of academics? And, you know, I think there's no right answer for all kids, right? It's so individualized based on where the kid really is. I mean, we, we talk about individualized learning in IEPs, but, you know, when we think about, we, of course, want to focus on the learning to learn skills, which is mostly what is happening in early education, right? The preschool, daycares, and, and even early elementary. It's the, you know, are they ready to learn? Are they emotionally ready to learn? Are they behaviorally ready to learn? And so to a certain extent, if you're able to work on that, that's great. But there is that vicious cycle of if the child is already behind in some of these areas, then you have the extra hurdle. You can't just jump to, well, I'm going to get them emotionally ready to be educated once we get back to normal instruction, because the stem of where the emotion or the stress is coming from is them being behind in the first place. So Mm. you end up in this vicious cycle of you can't really talk about one and the other. But I think, you know, what we kind of came down to when we were talking about it, and and I was really thinking about it for like an hour after the meeting was like, you know, for so many of these kiddos, what where the struggle comes is the foundational skills, the foundational reading skills, the foundational math skills. When a child is far behind in the foundational skills, it impacts everything, right? So from the early reading skills to the early math skills. So I think if parents can look at it and, and you can look at it from the perspective of, you know, you may not be a math teacher, but are you able to help with the basic math skills? I think you absolutely are. And it sounds like you've been focusing on that. I think that is one of those things where if you're really honing in on those foundational skills during this time, you know, 
we obviously can't do everything during this time, but that's something that I think if you're building a stronger foundation, it is going to help them later on. I mean, we do need to focus on making sure they're not falling further behind, but I think that that is important to wrap your head around that that foundation building is still so important that you are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'm lucky that my, you know, Freya is eight. So, right. you know, she's still kind of at that level. But, you know, one of the other things that I imagine is a barrier for a lot of people is the online classes. And, you know, like I said, they go to water schools. There weren't really any online classes. There was some Zoom meetings, but even just those brief Zoom meetings or watching Freya with her resource teacher on Zoom, you know, like that, I mean, just the screen itself and the ability to process quickly enough, you know, what's being asked of her or, you know, having a yeah, loud enough voice to be heard when there's a bunch of kids. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's, there's a lot of obstacles in this new era. Yeah. We hear you on that. And I think just we're taking the summer to just kind of figure out how to prepare our clients. You know, we've heard so many different contradictory things. You know, a lot of doctors and experts are saying we must get children back into schools. We must open up the schools. You know, the trauma of this, you know, they need the socialization. But it's really hard um, to weigh those benefits. You know, even if schools open up, I don't think any parent's going to be happy. Anybody's going to be happy with how they open up. You know, we've already kind of seen districts rolling out what their plan would be. And I think at least here in Orange County, California, the MO may be, you know, having children attend on alternating days so that there's less kids in a classroom and they can, you know, clean during the night. I think that that might be easier to socially distance the children as well. And, you know, we as well, you know, we think that there are, you know, vital services that some of these kiddos need or even just home environments that that are toxic that, you know, um, Mm. the child leaving, you know, is helpful. But it just, it kind of, everything just kind of gets compounded, right? Mm -hmm. When you have this insidious, you know, virus, uh, illness, whatever. I'm not a disease infection expert, but like whatever this is, it's very insidious. So, you know, we also have to take into consideration our teachers and their health, you know. And I think that that is what's so challenging in we hear the parents you're not teachers we get that but how do we do this and do it right which probably there is no right answer but that's what we've been struggling with is how we can advocate but now our focus is on how we can prepare our parents because there's going to be a ton of different scenarios what are you kind of doing to kind of prepare yourself whatever the fall brings I don't know that. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel yeah, like I'm, <laughs> I'm still kind of in denial. I don't know. I just, I don't even really know because our schools haven't said what they're doing yet. Okay. And we live, you know, in a part of the state that is not heavily hit. Maybe that will change because I know people are just, it's interesting to see that people, you know, even with all these cases rising, it's like people on these individual levels have just hit this, like, I'm done. I'm done with this thing. I want to go out. I want to go see this person or that person. And I'm seeing that happen more and more. And so that's kind of interesting. So I don't even know what I want to do in the fall. I like the idea actually of like two or three days a week. I think that that is a good, but I am also a stay at home mom. Like all the work I do is from home. So that's not a problem for me. 
Right. I am really just what I want is more socialization. Yeah. And I would love to figure out a way for that for both of them. Well, I have a 16 year old also. Um, and so it's really sad what she's missing out on. Yeah. But my two little ones, you know, they need, I think a little separation would be good for them. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they do really great some days and other days it's like, oh my goodness. But like the rest, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they go through the motions, I'm sure. But, I mean, there is something different between, you know, playing or interacting with kids your own age that aren't your siblings, I think. Yes, absolutely. And for my youngest too, you know, that dynamic of being the younger sister and, you know, she gives into Freya a lot. And so it's nice to see her play with other kids where she can be like big and tough and she wants to play. But as far as preparing, yeah, I don't that I have prepared yet because it's just everything just feels so up in the air. And so just who knows? I don't think anybody knows what it's going to look like. Uh, yeah. yeah no one does. I mean, even when, you know, I hear from some of my clients about what they've been told, like, you know, they, oh, we got sent this email or, you know, we heard this was said at the board meeting. I mean, from everything that I'm reading, I think schools want to desperately give families information but that information, I'm trying to prepare my clients and, you know, even our listeners, like whatever they're saying now, it's very possible it could change. I mean, we just yeah. got an order yesterday from the governor about changes, you know, yeah. things were open and now they're not. Same could apply mm-hmm. to schools. Anything can happen. It's not set in stone what's being said right now. So I think everyone just kind of has to go into it with an eye of flexibility of knowing that we may not know until the last minute just like everything during this pandemic, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. The way that I've been, that I realize I'm thinking about it is now I'm just like, okay, in a year from now, like that's kind of my span of time. Like whatever is going to happen in this next year, like we just have no idea, but like in a year from now, well, next summer will be, will it be different? Like let's shoot for that. But I think that just us even talking about, you know, we don't know what to expect. Like, humans don't like uncertainty, right? And, and we've mm-hmm. all been thrown in, in this. So I think it's helpful to just even acknowledge that, right? And, you know, prepare as in whatever way that looks for. So if that's like, that's shooting for next summer, right? Um, mm-hmm. If it's being a bit more hopeful, you know, okay, the fall, we're in it, you know, let's make it to December, you know, and things like that. But I think something that is important to tell yourself and even tell your children is that you know we're safe and we're gonna figure this out because I think a lot of the anxiety that we see for our older kiddos our older clients you know, when a child has anxiety or depression or, you know, is is a go-getter but has, you know, just severe ADHD or executive functioning, sometimes we can see the apple does not fall far from the tree, right? And I think that, you know, we can see it from the outside, but, you know, p- kids pick up on a lot, especially even when they're young. You like, you don't even think that they're paying attention. They are paying attention. And I think that that was why we wanted to have this conversation with you because I think you're very mindful and nobody's perfect, obviously, but you're very mindful in the way that you kind of have approached your life, right? Especially with Freya and with your other children.
children. And that's why I think your podcast resonates with a lot of people is because you are putting it all on the front lines. And that's why we felt it was important to kind of have this check-in because it's really a check-in with you, but, you know, on a broader scale, you know, our audience, (laughs) Uh you know, to say it's going to be okay. It's that resilience. It's that grit that Uh our children are now seeing us exhibit and they themselves will have. So, you know, we just, again, just wanted to thank you because we know it's hard to carve out time (laughs) in a house with, you know, this person working, that person doing that. It's like, oh my gosh, yeah. So, you know, we really appreciate it. And how can people, obviously, where can they find your podcast if this is the first time that they're listening? How can Uh they reach you? Obviously, you sent us a book of your poetry, which we absolutely loved. Thank you. And that was so long ago. I hope that we thanked you. I think we did, but don't Okay, thank you. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, how can people kind of find you? So I have a website, annefricke.com, A-N-N-E-F-R-I-C-K-E.com. And that's where you can find the podcast and you can find all my writing stuff. I also recently started writing on Medium. I don't know if people know what that is, but I have a couple of poems on there. And one actually just talking about the resiliency and all that. I wrote a poem kind of at the start of all this. I wrote a couple of poems actually about being, you know, what it's like to go through this, having a kid with special needs. And one is called Adaptability. And one is called Crisis Learning, and that's on Medium, just under my name. So the adaptability poem is kind of like a we got this kind of yeah. poem. So. Yeah, no, <laughs> um, perfect. And then, yeah, the podcast is on, the, like I said, on the website or it's on whatever podcast players people use. And I actually just had a great conversation with uh, Jamila Bashir. She's a special education teacher in Philadelphia. And we started the conversation. For me, it was a start to talk about racism in special education. And we're going to hopefully talk some more. And that was very enlightening for me. So that was my most recent episode. And I was really excited about it. Oh, that is very exciting. (laughs) Yeah, when I reached out to her, I thought we were going to be talking about how, you know, students of color in special education, you know, how they're treated. And I was doing research before we started talking and just kind of went even deeper than that. Like who gets into special education, who doesn't, Mm -hmm. who gets criminalized rather than given the services they need and all. I mean, it was just like very eye opening. There are definite patterns and Amanda and I have seen them. We've lived through them. We've helped our children as best as we can. And I love that you were able to kind of connect with somebody that was willing to have that conversation. And and there's so many people out there, but for them to have the medium that they have now has been so great. And we've loved Mm -hmm. seeing that unfold. But yeah, I mean, and we've talked about the school to prison pipeline endlessly. (laughs) We've had events, you know, circled around it. But so yeah, we would highly recommend that episode. I'm going to take a listen to that one too, because that definitely, that's definitely right up our alley, Anne. Yeah, yeah. Proud of you guys. Well, thank you so much for your time. Hopefully you guys are all doing okay. (laughs) And if you're not okay, that's okay. Please um, use our Facebook group to kind of check in with us and each other and hang in there. I know the falls started and we're going to get through this. That's the only thing I can say. Absolutely. Thank you, Anne. Uh, We hope you have a great day. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much.